0: Okay, so i got to try to record this. So, um, what was I doing? Uh, I'd actually just been replying. So, long story short, um, I'm a um, a Nalan tradition Buddhist who uh, has been using the Yi Ching since he was a teenager, about the same time when he discovered he was a a Tibetan Buddhist, a Tantric Buddhist. Uh, Not a Taoist, but supposedly it's because I discovered um, a translation of the Yi Ching that... wasn't Taoist. So, long story short, here I am. I went and discovered at the uh, second-hand store a translation of the I Ching was a lot more Taoist. And in the time since, I've become much more familiar with Taoism itself. So, fast forward, I'm doing some intensive study of not just uh, this new version of the I Ching, which is much more Taoist, but certainly not as Taoist as it could be, as I found out, as I'm discussing with a Taoist scholar out of Netherlands, uh, explaining this to me. So what do I do? I, I take a little break because I had a lot of things coming my way at the time, right? Because I'm trying to, trying to coalesce, I mean, all these different teachings. So me and the wife are listening to this book called Ikagi, which is the Japanese belief that um, you can coalesce uh, um, what you love, uh, what you're good at, and uh, what you do for a living into one thing. Um, and I'm listening to a Akagi and we get to the end and we're just taking a break because we wanted to both listen and the wife was doing something in the back. So what did I do? I put on a little YouTube video. <sighs> and what YouTube video does it come up? It gives me a little something about the Forbidden City. It doesn't really mention much about the Forbidden, forbidden City. I just, it just said, uh, within the Forbidden City, um, And I thought that would be interesting to be like, cool, let's see what it looks like inside the Forbidden City. So I'm a little disappointed in this video because National Geographic's, um, uh, worse yet, it was actually just somebody who looked like they used their cell phone to videotape the, the TV. But I just wanted to see if it was something that I'd want to watch. So... I'm upset that it's mostly computer graphic, it's not actual footage, so I'm skipping through the video to see if I can see some actual footage. Lo and behold, there's some footage. What are they doing? They're renovating. They're taking off the very top. What is it? It's the Forbidden City in China, Beijing, if I'm right, Um, which, by the way, was set up by the Mongols. Anyways, so I'm trying to find out the history of all this, because what do they find? They find a bunch of Buddhist scriptures, scrolls. In fact, so me and a buddy were teaching Buddhism all summer long, and we're we're teaching, according to the Chinese, who have written kind of the story, because it was lost elsewhere. Chinese have gone and written the story, and they're saying that, um, yeah, Bodhidharma, he came over uh, the mountains there. He didn't have anything to do with Tibet. Uh, That was China. Uh, He came over the hills, and um, uh, he brought uh, Buddhism. And we translated it from the Sanskrit and yada, yada. never mention of Tibet, right? Because arguably I think that might be a political issue because if you admit that they were a different country, different language and culture and all this jazz, and and if you admit that you were learning from them, and if you admit that the Yuan dynasty even uh, existed where there was actually uh, looking up to the Tibetan lamas... and Buddhism and the Nalanda tradition as uh, interpreted by uh, uh, Tibet, the Tantric Buddhist um, tradition. Neither here nor there, uh, they pull the top off of these uh, Taoist temples in the Forbidden City, again, Beijing, I believe, um, built around 1400 AD. So this should be about 1200 years after Buddhism came uh, to. China. Uh, It should be about a thousand years after um, Chury and Bodhidharma both interpreted um, the Nalanda tradition or the Yogacara or the Madhyamika, um, the middle way of Buddhism, the Mahayanan uh, middle way, uh, which eventually became Zen or Chan. Uh, The the idea that... uh, um, The Hindu tradition understood the compassion, karuna, ahimsa, no harm. Uh, Those were all givens. Um, In fact, uh, they even felt that calmness, staying calm and objective, uh, uh, helped you be aware uh, or even hopefully live within what they call pure awareness, Ishvara. But the Buddhists felt that they were a little lacking, uh, that you couldn't achieve this complete enlightenment, as they called it, uh, or an understanding, an, an awareness, an awakening, uh, a mindfulness of this shunyata, the emptiness, the cause and effect that is the universe that we live in. The reason why life itself is, is dissatisfying and why ego tends to be uh, the root of that dissatisfaction. It's our own dualism uh, in everything we see and do. This idea that we don't see uh, the world for what it is. So here we are. Um, I've jumped ahead in this video. And it's uh, a Taoist temple being taken apart. And the narrator says, well, it's still a mystery. We have no idea why. And it's like 2,000 volumes of these Tibetan Buddhist scriptures. And as I said, a friend and I uh, had spent the summer teaching Buddhism and, and talking about how uh, Buddhism had come out of India and into China and China had translated and they had this wonderful uh, history. And here's me. I always uh, laugh when they talk about, you know, the Han Chinese and realizing Han is not just one dynasty. Uh, It's more than one. And uh, the Chinese history itself is many, 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 many dynasties, particularly when you look at some of the Warring States periods and the Five Dynasties periods. So... For them to say, mm, it's still a mystery. It's kind of weird because it's really well documented. When the Forbidden City was built, 1400, wasn't hard for me to go back and look. Uh, that there, there was a period uh, that Buddhism was um, uh, persecuted. Uh, there was periods when Taoism, uh, Confucianism, and Buddhism uh, were um, uh, endorsed side by side. You know, so it's really not hard to see that there had been some period where the Buddhism um, had maybe come under some sort of a, um, persecution and why they, they might hide it. And my initial prediction before I did some research was that it was likely, and what I guessed is the same priests were both Taoists and Buddhists. And I was thinking at different times as it was endorsed. But I guess technically they could have been both at the exact same time, which is not that weird. Um, if you look at uh, Japan, uh, you'll have someone who will get married under Shinto, but they're a Buddhist and, you know. So it's not a weird thing to see, uh, even in a modern context. Um, but for, for them to say, well, it's still a mystery, or their suggestion was it's possible that those scriptures were put there under order of the emperor so that they'd be above the heads of the Taoists. So follow me on this. One, with what we were told that the Chinese valued the scriptures that came out of uh, Indian, they'll mention a whole lot about uh, Tibet, but they do. But to, to 2,000 original Tibetan scriptures, sure, they'd already been translated, I understand. But again, that doesn't seem to fit but when I go back into the history and you look that just before the Ming uh, dynasty, when the Forbidden City had been built, was the um, dynasty that was set up by the Mongols and uh, a period in which they are doing uh, their best to not remember. So I argue that in combination with this revised history that um, Buddhist scholars in China were actually studying um, Chinese or Sanskrit or you know something the like, maybe Pali, I'm not sure, but no, it really is looking like um, they were being uh, tutored by Tibetans, and uh, arguably um, <laughs> there may have been Indians in the bunch, but is that really that different than when we call um, Gautama an in Indian? And arguably, he was more of a Nepali, maybe even at the time, much closer to a Tibetan. Same as when we talk about some of these uh, traditions coming out of uh, north of um, Tibet in China, which arguably was heavily populated by Tibetans, uh, still is. So imagine uh, back when it took a month to travel from uh, the Himalayas to, uh, to Beijing You can imagine how few uh, ethnic Chinese there might have been there. Uh, Further to that was interestingly uh, to find out that um, Islam uh, goes back uh, 1500 years in China. and I don't know how that would relate to the Uyghurs, but it was actually even endorsed by uh, emperors at one time to another. The reason why I mention all this is I've been actually been quite surprised at how um, Chinese history has been lost or, um, you know, Taoism uh, has been kind of, uh, I don't know, mixed too much or bastardized or milk da- uh, watered down or, you know, a little milk toast, as they say. I'm starting to see that the history itself was actually difficult for me to find some of this stuff. The only way I actually found some answers to this stuff was I actually had to go to three, four, five, six, eight, ten different sources, uh, different articles on different uh, periods about different people, uh, different uh, different um, historical characters, as it were. And, and within those, I was able to find these little... Um, and it's, it's interesting, too, because some of it I had a hard time even searching um, for, uh, which is weird, right? You think... Uh, you think nowadays a search engine can look right within documents, but uh, I guess when there's so much information out there, that's like what they say, uh, the uh, the Internet is uh, is miles, miles and miles wide, but just barely millimeters deep, right? And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about being aware. And I was just uh, finishing reading about, um, uh, as I said, I was reading the book Ikagi, uh, which was talking about um, finding that perfect place uh, where your passion and your talents and your career can meet. He talks about wabi-sabi, which is the uh, theory that finding the beauty in imperfection, uh, once again, I argue, goes back to uh, impermanence of all things, kind of like um, the cherry blossom, right? The impermanence of its uh, simplistic beauty. You know, that's what they worship further to that um, is I was just talking about Miyamoto Musashi I should do a podcast talking about Takuan Soho uh, who actually was uh, Musashi's teacher Uh, but what I was going to mention was in uh, our further research here uh, we actually found uh, what was that? I might not be able to find it I may have lost it to time but um It's a Chinese over to Japanese. But long story short, it's an entire concept. The Japanese have an an expression for an entire concept that means um, living in the moment. It has to do um, with uh, cherishing every moment that you have with someone. That meeting will never happen again. But the thing that's funny is now, in translation, people are thinking, oh, yes, you have to appreciate, you know, that person because, you know, those moments are fleeting and all this sort of stuff. is. You've got to forget about that. Um, you know, it's not about the relationship. It's about everything. It's like the Buddhist concept that all phenomena are of one ilk. Right? Whether real or not, they're transient. Right? So they have to be treated as such so living in the moment as misashi said um, we can see it uh, as when they talk of uh, you're eating a really lovely uh, meal and you don't realize absolutely how wonderful it is until your last few uh, mouthfuls Uh, same can be said of our everyday life and what i was getting at here is uh we're all just barely inches deep uh, miles wide uh, until we really start uh, to, what they call, integrate uh, these teachings into our lives. And, and what does integration mean? Uh, that means not sitting on a cushion. Um, that means not sitting around talking. That means taking it into our everyday life. Right? That means that, um, that uh, Japanese expression about uh, appreciating every moment. Because uh, relationships are so fleeting. Um, That's every moment we have. And as I was speaking uh, to a gentleman, I wish he could understand better, that karma, it's not an external force. It's absolutely 100% an internal force. You can't be haunted by uh, your past karma. Unless you choose to be haunted by your past karma. It's attachment right? If you make a mistake, as the Buddha said, as the Yi Ching says, how better to cover a bad deed than with a good one, right? So the only thing carried forward from a moment is your attachment, is your volition, which is what we're trying to eliminate. You got to see the difference between these mental constructs uh, that jade your perception, your awareness, of reality, and leave you dissatisfied. Yeah. So, it's that integration. It's not just sitting. It's not just when I'm reading. It's not applying one little concept to one little aspect. It's 100%. Uh, unceasing. As uh, the, the I Ching says, it's the central path for a reason. Because... It's where you should um, be. It's where you should reside. Uh, kind of like um, the Satipatthana. It uh, happens to be one of my favorite sutras because it, it's simply uh, no... It's There's nothing further needed than understanding what the word Satipatthana means. It means to reside in mindfulness. Reside as in to embody. To integrate that teaching into every aspect of your being. What is karma? Karma is action. How do you imbue that action? You imbue it with that same mindful awareness, right? Infused with the karuna, compassion, and ahimsa uh, no harm that we've spoken about before. When you use that as your guide, you can reduce the impact that your ego, your selfish desires have on your world, on your, your uh, arguably, karma again. What those wants and wishes or choices or actions that you make, you attach to, you give, you give um, tangibility to. So... That's my thought for the day.